All right, the first thing I want to do is uh, respond to some of the thoughts or questions that people were still wondering about after the panel series. Uh, If you don't know what I'm talking about, over the last three weeks, uh, on Wednesday nights, I was on a panel that... Uh, where we talked about the issues of homosexuality, which was week one, ISIS, week two, race, week three. Uh, We sought to think through these issues biblically and winsomely. We discussed for 25, 30 minutes, and then we took questions for 15 or 20 minutes. I think some great discussion, uh, at least very rich for me, especially to get to work with some of the guys so closely, a lot of times we just plug away, you know, on our own, and to get to discuss these issues with them was very good. Also, I thought some excellent questions from the congregation, uh, thoughtful, intelligent, some difficult. Uh, two of our main goals, number one, were to get people thinking biblically about these issues, and number two, to keep people thinking beyond just the panel about these issues. Um, I think both of those goals were accomplished to some degree. Uh, there were even those that wanted to follow up in class today. So I thought that's a good idea. I'll address a couple of things that I got in response to my email. First, a woman that said that they have recently uh, purchased some home decor. They've been working with a gay man. Uh, She has thought about inviting him to church, but does not know how to go about it. Uh, And also wondered how to respond uh, to the possible question, let's say there is a relationship, uh, the question on what her thoughts would be uh, or what they are on homosexuality. So I want to start by affirming your instincts. Uh, we talked a lot about leaning into these relationships and not backing away. I think that's a great start. Um, there is no place for homophobia, and sadly, I think that uh, this, I bet you this man has probably received that kind of response from many, even Christians. Uh, This man was created in the image of God, which means he has inherent worth. He's also our neighbor, whom we are commanded to love as we love ourselves. Uh, This man is also bound up in sin, and there is no place for affirmation of his sin, which is where the culture is fighting for us to go. That said, it is the right thing to move towards the sinner with compassion and with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, not to move away from him. As far as inviting him to church, um, I certainly would never want to discourage you from doing that or being intentional with him, but if it were me, that is not where I would start. Um, If I were you, I would invite him into my home and even to be around my kids. Um, Now, If there were a point where you felt like this guy didn't care about you or your family and uh, he was just a militant homosexual trying to brainwash your kids, well, I think you draw the line somewhere. I also don't think that's very likely. Um, This is the world that our kids are growing up in, and they need us to model for them how to engage in real, loving, hospitable relationships with people who we genuinely love, though we don't approve of their sin. Um, I would think this is no different than a parent or brother or sister or crazy uncle who certainly is not a Christian, uh, but who you intentionally invite into your home and love. Um, I think that our homes are one of the most underutilized kingdom resources available to us not only for building fellowship with other Christians, but also missionally in engaging 
in hospitality with outsiders. Uh, if you're at the panel, you heard me talk about the distinction between fellowship and hospitality. It's a distinction that I learned from Rosaria Butterfield. Um, fellowship is really about relationships within the church family. That's not to say it's wrong to say you're being hospitable when you have Christian friends over. I think that is hospitable. But true hospitality is more about inviting the stranger in than it is about inviting the church friend in. Uh, an example of this in the Bible would be when the Bible talks about the sojourner. Like in the Old Testament, when there was someone from a foreign nation traveling through Israel to go on wherever they were going, uh, the Israelites were supposed to invite them in and love them. Deuteronomy 10, 18 19, God loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Um, it's important to think about the fact that these sojourners were not only from a foreign nation, but they would have also been worshipers of foreign gods. So a good modern-day application would be, uh, well, one would be inviting foreigners into our homes, whether refugees or people who have moved here from another country for whatever reason. But another good application would be inviting a homosexual into our home, someone who's not following the Lord, uh, and someone who, though not culturally outcast anymore, I guarantee you feels very outcast from the church. Uh, that's one of the reasons I would start. I, I, that's one of the reasons I wouldn't start with inviting them to church because I do think there are these barriers there, even if just in their mind. I would start with trying to break down some of those preconceived notions uh, that this man likely has about the church by bringing him into your home. And we are the church, which means we don't always have to bring people to the church. We can take the church to them. Uh, wherever we go, there goes the church. Now, as far as being prepared to answer his questions or her questions or whoever it is about uh, homosexuality, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but this is how I would answer it. Of course, uh, in the moment it's harder than right now because I've had time to think through this. Um, that's why it's important to think about these things. It's, it's even important to study these things and rehearse these things and rehearse what your answer would be in such and such scenario. I think that's just a fleshing out of being prepared to give a defense for the, for the hope that is in us. Um, so if I were asked point blank, do you think homosexuality is a sin? I would say something like, that question is going to take me a few minutes uh, to answer. So bear with me and try to reserve judgment until the end. Yes, homosexuality is a sin, but it is not the sin. It is not worse than any of my sin. But in saying that, I don't want to dis diminish the severity of sin. Uh, we need to be saved from our sins, and homosexuality is a sin. That said, I don't think about homosexuals just in terms of uh, of the sin of homosexuality. Homosexuals are human beings created in the image of God, which means they have inherent worth. Uh, the same reason why I oppose abortion, because every human being is created in the image of God, is the same reason why I love homosexuals and value the life of a homosexual. Not only an image bearer of God, but also my neighbor. My Lord Jesus commands me to love my neighbor even as I love myself. So yes, homosexuality is a sin, 
but you're also an image bearer of God. I love you because Jesus first loved me and I genuinely care to have a relationship with you even if right now we disagree on whether your homosexuality is a sin. So if I were you know, trying to rehearse in my mind, if that question comes up, I got kind of three things there. Yes, it's a sin. Not the sin. Image bearer of God. Love your neighbor. And those are kind of the way I would try to fill that out. In saying that, if I were to invite a homosexual into my home, I want to be clear that I would not start off by making sure that they know that I think that their homosexuality is a sin. I think that's weird. I think that's strange. I don't think you would do that with anyone else. Um, If I was asked, I would answer. But if it were left up to me, I would start by getting to know them. Uh, Getting to know about their family. Getting to know about their job. Getting to know about their interests. That said, if I'm going to be gospel intentional in my hospitality, which I very much desire to be, at some point, the conversation is going to turn to beliefs. Um, That may not be the first time they're in my home. It may not be the second time they're in my home. But I'm not being honest with someone about who I really am if I can have them in my home repeatedly without talking about the things that are important to me. Um, what is more important to me than salvation in Jesus Christ, my relationship with God, about God's Word, about my church, and, and so on. Um, again, I mention her name all the time, but I'd strongly recommend, if you have those kinds of concerns, to read that book by Rosaria Butterfield, Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. It is masterful in many ways. Um, One of the ways is that she talks about hospitality a lot. She talks about the excellent hospitality by the pastor and his wife who led her to Christ. Uh, And there's a great balance of being warm and welcoming um, and sensitive to where she was in her life at that time, while at the same time being truthful truthful and honest about where they were in their life. Uh, It's called a real relationship, and unfortunately, I think... Those are increasingly rare. You're free to be honest about who you are. I'm free to be honest about who I am. The language uh, Rosaria uses is that the pastor was very open about accepting her right where she was as a friend without approving of her lifestyle. And these were things that they dialogued about. Uh, and on the front end, he was, he was emphasizing his acceptance of her as a friend a whole lot more than he was his disapproval of her lifestyle. Uh, Of course, those things came up as they began to discuss the Bible. She was eager to discuss the Bible. She was reading the Bible at that time. So anyway, all to say, my advice would be invite them into your home. Uh, Be prepared to give a biblical answer uh, for your views in case he asks you. And love him, serve him, share Christ with him in word and in deed. Another question related to the most recent panel was how would I go about making a black friend? Uh, And some of us may laugh, but this person may not have any opportunities. And for those of you that do laugh, I would ask you, how many black friends do you have? Uh, We are a segregated city. A lot of times our paths don't cross, and so it's a valid question. Uh, Number one... Start praying that God would give you a black friend. Uh, Number two, be intentional. At the grocery store or wherever you are, um, intentional to strike up a conversation with a black person. 
Uh, I don't know what you guys thought about John Otley's little thing about if you're there and you see a black man and two white men, go to the black man and talk to him. I liked it. Uh, it's just a way to be intentional. But, you know, um, not everyone's going to take to you. I heard one woman say, it seems like I try to be intentional. And then, you know, the black people often just don't take to me and don't want to have a friendship with me. It's like, well, that's okay. But if someone does take to you, Keep going back to the same place. Keep the conversation going. Remember their name and the things that they've told you about them. Uh, Pray for an open door to invite them to lunch or invite them to dinner in your home. Um, And you may think, well, that's weird to sit at someone at the store. Well, if there's a conversation that's going and ongoing as you go to these different places, it's increasingly less weird if they're becoming, you know, more than just an acquaintance. Uh, an example of this, and uh, I go out to, for a lot of lunch meetings, okay? Uh, I go to a lot of the same restaurants that didn't start with intentionality. It just started because I liked the way the food tasted. Uh, at one restaurant, I struck up a conversation with my waitress. She had some things to say. I liked that restaurant. I kept going back. She kept being my waitress. Uh, when I found out a little bit about her life, I was able to make small talk about some common ground. Oh, you're from so-and-so. Well, my brother was there for such-and-such, and... Uh, one day, the person that I was with um, at lunch was asking this waitress about her family, and all of her family's back in her home country. She's been here for 14 years. She has a son here. She has no husband. She's divorced. And so my friend said, well, what about support? You know, just uh, friends and such and such. And she said, well, I don't really have any. And uh, she just takes her son to school. She goes to work. She picks her son up. They go home. She doesn't have friends. She goes back to her home country once a year for a month, and that's the time that she looks forward to from the time that she gets back until the next time that she leaves. Well, that'll break your heart, you know? I mean, that's awful. And so I go home and I tell Tiffany, guess what I heard today? And, you know, she's like, well, let's have her to dinner. And so we did. And uh, the point that I say that is not, look at them, there's the natural progression of divided desires I was just going there for lunch I like the food strike up conversation small talk over 10 conversations 10 times that she's my waitress you know you find out some more someone else is with me they ask the question door opens I just think if we were intentional even about praying for those things God would God would do that Um, Another way to make a black friend is to, I think, you know, through our sister church, uh, Innovation Church, who we're going to see more and more of, um, you know, be intentional with them, strike up conversation with them, get their number, follow up. A man in our church told me this week that he regularly talks to two of the men that he met on the men's retreat. All that is is being intentional. He met them, he liked them, he got their number, he followed up. Another thing that I want to respond to, also, respond to also related with race, I can say that these thoughts have also passed through my mind. But um, the thought that there are all these things like BET, Black Entertainment Television, Black History Month, um, there's nothing that says, you know, White History Month or white people only or whatever. And as I thought about that, I would actually say that's not true. Um, For years and years, there were lots of things that said white people only, and it wasn't that long ago. Uh, Every one of our parents lived during those days. Some of you were alive during those days, even if just a child. 
And I think that Black History Month, et cetera, is a simple attempt to show the value that we place on black people uh, when they were so grossly undervalued as an entire race for so long. Not just as slaves. They were treated as worse than dogs in segregation not that long ago. Your dog can come in, no black people. Um, Another related question, and one that I've also had. When are we going to stop being held accountable for every bad thing that happened to them hundreds of years ago? Um, And as I thought about this, first thing, it didn't really happen that long ago. Uh, Slavery was abolished in Britain 200 years ago. The Civil War and abolition of slavery here 150 years ago. But there were still slaves for a long time after that. And again, they were treated as less than dogs less than 50 years ago. In our region, in our city, Um, of course by some idiots as we've seen this week they're still treated that way today but we know that the popular cultural conscience is not that way anymore and that's why I think it's a fair question people don't think that way generally anymore but I don't think that that popular conscience has shifted until very recently within the last 50 years when we're talking about world history 50 years is a very small amount of time um Second thing, I, by most people, black people that I know, I don't think we are being held accountable by them. But I would say that I do believe that we need to own responsibility. Um, I think we need to confess the sins of the white man that went before us. I think that if we're going to make friends with black people, I think that they even need to hear us renouncing the sins against black people as a sinful stench in God's nostrils. Uh, and as I said the other night, not only renouncing the um, overt mistreatment of African Americans, but also renouncing those prideful prejudices that stir around in our hearts, uh, those parts of us that think that we're better even today. Um, so I would say that in order to truly love our African American neighbors, we need to be willing to listen to the way that all of this history has shaped the way that they think and the way that they feel. Um, We don't have to agree with everything that they think and feel. And do I think that there are flaws in some of the thoughts and feelings that I've heard described? Yes. But it's all back to loving our neighbor, loving our brothers and sisters. If we're going to have real relationships with black people, we're going to need to listen to their perspective on what it's actually like to be a black man or woman in this country, in this city that has so hated them at one time and even very recently within the last 50 years. Um, You know, to to change races, we wouldn't treat a Jew flippantly who still had emotional connection to the Holocaust. Um, Neither should we treat an African American flippantly when they still have emotional connection to the horrific way that their ancestors were treated, even by some of our own ancestors. Um, You know, who are we kidding? Honestly, even by some of our own parents and grandparents. And so there is a precedent. I have family that's still alive that are still racist, you know, and so there is a biblical precedent for confessing the sins of the fathers um, and owning that even as my own. Anyway, anybody have any more thoughts or questions about that? I have just like a small comment.
club where there's like tons of old men and um <laughs> a lot of them you know are like respected in their church or their you know whatever and I'll you know they'll sit around together after they've golfed and they've like had a few drinks or you know and I will hear them talking and I am like just shocked by what they're saying you know they'll use they'll be talking about you know black people or whatever and I mean it's real you know and it's you know people that I mean I know pretty well and I'm hearing what they're saying and they're not thinking about it they don't you know it's just men talking I mean they say horrible stuff all the time Mm -hmm. all together (laughs) but you know but when they're talking about you know black people I'm like I cannot believe these men who you know a lot of them I know or they're you know whatever I'm like it's it's true. I mean that whether they, you know, if you really ask them when they're completely sober and in a church setting, what they really think, it might be the off. You know, they might, you know, verbalize the opposite. Like, no, I love black people, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they, they, maybe they really do. But when they're talking, like, they're, you know, saying the N word. There's, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. And they're old, so they live through all that. And they, but it's, it makes me so mad mm-hmm. because I. I don't know, like, I don't want my kids to even, I mean, I guess they need to know history and all that, yeah. but I don't want them to, like, think about that. And, like, I wanted to ask those two guys, like, you know, they want, they love their culture, and they, like, I'm sure love to be black and all that, but, like, it's almost like I want my kids to not see any color, like, right. you know? So I wanted to ask them that, like, <clears throat> do you want us to see you as black? Like, do you want us to... Mm-hmm. You know, or do you want us just to see everybody as equal? Like, I mean, obviously equal, but as the same. Like, cause that's hard, I think, for me at least, to understand. Mm-hmm. Like, they, you know, we all want to be the same. Yeah. But then we got to have, like, black history and BET and da-da-da. We yeah. got to, right. you know? No, I, um, so, a couple things. One... Myron and I, and on the panel, you're not able to talk that long. At lunch, we talked for a couple hours, and so we were talking with Myron about we were we, I, the right thing for us to do is not. I think there are black racists. Okay, I think black people are racist, but I think so often white people say they're black racists too. And it's like we're not getting anywhere with that. Like what we need to do is own our responsibility and how to move forward and into what has happened before. Um, and you know, if you don't feel like you and your family and ancestors have any responsibility in any of that, well, come take some of mine because we have plenty. Okay, my family's from Mississippi for generations, and uh, you know, Mississippi's kind of known for some of that even today. So we have to work on us. And I will tell you this, Myron, when he's over preaching to his congregation and talking to them in their homes, he's ta- he is renouncing racism against white people. He is talking about owning responsibility for them and not looking over here. And so I think we both have to do the same. What do we got to work on? That kind of thing. Um, in terms of the other thing that you're talking about that I thought I wanted to say something about. Well, I think probably talking about how do black people want to be seen. I think we just want to be seen as people. I think there are differences and we, like BET or Black History, that's a celebration of distinctives things that, that make us different and unique and special, all the, you know, the spectrum of beautiful things that God created in his creation. I think, like, we all have biases, uh, mm-hmm. and we, based on our experiences, but 
I don't think anybody like wants to equal. That's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a difficult thing to think of in terms of how you treat people. It's like you recognize the difference as just right. It's just like any distinctive. Culture. It's like if we just. You know, like an Indian culture. Or but I asked Myron, culture. so we we talked for a long time about, I mean, their ultimate hope, and, and they are glad to say race, racial tensions are abolishing the gospel. The gospel, you know, in that sense we're colorblind. But also, Revelation 7, at the end, all these people from different tribes and tongues and peoples, like there's a sense in which the tribe is preserved. And there's still going to be this diversity that's on display and beautiful because of the unity in diversity. But to the point, we asked Myron, is it still, we hear you saying that it's most significant that you're a Christian more than you're black. Is it still significant that you're black? And you should have seen the look on his face. It spoke volumes to me. He said, oh man, more than I can explain. And you think about, I thought about that. Like, I don't feel this super, I mean, I like you guys, but like, I don't feel like, the white people thing, you know? (laughs) Like, what would be our thing? I mean, I don't know. I just... But here's the thing. The the people... Go ahead. I think you would feel it, though, if you were in a culture that you were separate. Yes. If we went on a trip anywhere in the U.S., anywhere in the world, it wouldn't matter. We would develop camaraderie in that there's a comfort in your own people. Mm -hmm. I don't think that has to be the I don't think it has to be we're going to mixed perfectly like they were saying we don't necessarily love black and white church they sell they worship christ differently than we do that doesn't mm-hmm. make our beliefs different and i think that's important to say it's okay that it's we're we are not going to be able to embrace the same culture in memphis all across the board mm-hmm. but i i think it's even important instead of finding a black friend find friends outside of my comfort zone mm-hmm. whatever that looks like mm-hmm. Because I can be ugly as all get out when I walk through Walmart. Sure. Those people are white. Yeah. I'm ugly. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I don't think it has to be. I mean, I think more, like, I'm like, I'm better than you. Yeah. And. Well, that's a great point. And I think that's one of the things. I'm from my own part in every interaction. Yeah. Whether I'm, you know, I would hope that if we go on a trip somewhere, y'all don't leave me in the middle of some culture that I don't understand. I could want. Right. Well, see, sometimes I think, too, like, cultures. People do naturally stay with people that are similar, Mm -hmm. but you should also be able to get along with other cultures and be friends with them, Mm -hmm. intermarry if you want, get along with them, but we shouldn't all, it's just to me, and I mean, I could be completely wrong, but you don't, it's not, I don't don't know if it's the right to say natural to just all become this like huge melting pot of all different cultures, Mm -hmm. but to, we should be at peace with everyone. Yeah. So to like the other guy said, he wants a church that looks like our city. Well, yeah, but our city is like, I'm not saying it's right to have here, the black people here, the white people here, the Spanish for the Mexican people here, but that's, it's natural. Cultures, look at, look at all countries. Yeah. Country of these people, the country, you know, it's just kind of, but to have peace among the people. Right. We want. Is that right? Is that wrong? Well, uh, both and. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I I also am for the melting pot. Uh, So, but, but I think, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because otherwise we're all trying to, stay in our own comfort zones and not be friends and not change. And that's what culturally is happening. The black people want to stay with the black people. They want their people to marry black people. Yeah. Same with the white people. Same with the Mexicans. Same with Indians. Like, 
heck is the same with Polish people, and we're white. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying it's we true. all should start Yeah, no, I, so I think both, I mean. Totally different traditions. All yeah. sorts of crazy Polish traditions. I don't, it freaks out my parents that I don't hold on to those. Yeah. It does, it freaks them out. Because they're like, but you're Polish. Okay, yes, I am, and I always will be. But I'm also an American now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And things have got to change. They can't just be oh, the yeah, same. I agree. I'm married an American, so. and things have got to change. America. <laughs> yeah. That's I think I think that was the whole point of the whole discussion. No, those are good. I mean, it's a both, you know, I I agree too and I I mean, getting out of the comfort zone to engage other cultures even in the normal rhythms of our life I think is a must. Um, and you know, our God's heart for the nations. We want our heart to be God's heart for the nations, for the many nations among us in our city. Um, anyway, good discussion. Uh, work on us. And I and also where there, I'm not so eager to like blow up subcultures and things like that, but peace among the subcultures and. Back to the African-American culture, I think it's right. I think we understand, even in the Jewish people in the Bible, like 400 years of slavery. Well, then there's the tie that binds. You know, it's like we went through this together and all of these generations before us. And so I think it helped me to better understand the present day emotional connection to and just identity. It's not chief identity, but to identify themselves as who they are. African-American and that even that holds so much history even in saying African-American uh, for so many years and anyway we're, we're I'm bordering on going we're already almost too long but it's Father's Day happy Father's Day to the dads in the room I'd normally give out a book as a gift I looked at some I just couldn't land on one so instead I want to speak briefly to the dads uh, during the panel on Wednesday night, Pastor Myron and I talked about the, or we talked before the panel and mentioned it at the panel, the issue of fatherlessness in the inner city. He confirmed that it's one of the most devastating issues that they face. Men that don't want to take responsibility for their women, rarely even making their women their wives, and then leaving the responsibility of their children to their women, whether baby's mama or mama or grandmama. Uh, children grow up without fathers and or fathers um, you, you know well they, they either grow up and their fathers are gone or their fathers are around but they don't take responsibility for their growth and maturity fathers don't sacrificially love them the results are disastrous young men that are 
longing for a fatherly influence and often go looking for it in all the wrong places, on the streets, young women that long for the affirmation of a father uh, and often seek that affirmation in the wrong men, in the wrong ways. Mothers, many of whom compound the issue by continuing to look for that affirmation in that same man or other men with more children and uh, children they obviously care about but in many cases are beside themselves as to how to properly take care of. And as Pastor Myron said to me, if a woman does get married, uh, even to a good man, oftentimes she has been so independent for so long that loving submission to a man is such a foreign concept and a marriage simply won't thrive without loving submission of a wife. And of course, even where there is a woman who is willing to lovingly submit to a husband, oftentimes the husband is so absent Or if he's there, he's just so harsh or so downright abusive that it makes it impossible on the other end. Now, these are sweeping generalizations. I'm not saying it's everyone's that way. I'm not excusing the sin of the women. But these are major issues in communities like Frazier. I'm saying one of the root issues is fatherlessness. Men that will not take responsibility for their women and children to sacrifice for them, to provide for them, nurture them, to see to it that they're growing uh, and maturing into people that God created them to be. The root issue, the root issue, is actually godlessness. Uh, But one of the most devastating ways it manifests itself is fatherlessness. That said, back to the whole look at them, look at them, it's easy to point the finger, but the reality is that is one of the root issues in affluent suburban communities as well. It just manifests itself differently. Uh, There's more of a material veneer to cover the rotting underlayer. But if you don't think that absent or passive husbands and fathers are a huge issue in suburban communities as well, you're not paying attention. And if you don't think that angry, harsh, abusive husbands and fathers are a real issue here, again, you hadn't been watching. It's easy to point the finger. It's a lot harder to face our own sinful shortcomings. Uh, in Ephesians 3, 14, 15, Paul says, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every fatherhood is named. This means that every human father is a representative of God the Father, and we either represent Him truthfully or falsely. Uh, None of us represent Him perfectly, but we do represent Him. And the charge is to be a good picture of Him to our children. As one guy said it on Twitter this week, every Christian's dad's job is to live and love so that his kids smile when learning that God is a father to his children. I thought that was good. Um, I've been thinking about a couple angles of God's fatherhood, and that's how we'll close. One, His relentless, loving pursuit of us by His grace. We do not earn God's love, neither should our children feel that they have to earn ours. Number two, His relentless commitment to our transformation in Christ. God disciplines us because He loves us, and because the most important thing to Him is not our happiness, but our holiness. He is not committed to anything more than He is committed to making us like Jesus. Number three, God provides for our every need. Of course, this means material needs, but those are not the most important needs that our Father provides. Our most important needs have to do with salvation. This has to be the barometer by which we measure whether or not our hearts are in the right spot or whether or not we're even on the right track at all. Um, is the most important thing 
in my heart for my children, far above all else, the desire to see them know God through Jesus Christ, to love Christ, and, and to follow Him. If not, grace is needed and repentance is needed. Um, plead with God that He would so work in our hearts. And ladies, you do the same. That, that our hearts would be like His heart for His kids. Um, and if someone were to peek into the daily and weekly rhythms of our lives, our, our lives with our kids, is the chief objective in my home, is the clear objective in my time with my kids that, that they know um, that I love them, but that they know that I love them because of God's love in Christ and that my, my heart's desire is that they would know Him and follow Him. Um, is the Bible clearly the most important source of knowledge in our home or is the culture? And, and I'm not just talking about what we think, but actually what we do. Um, would it be clear to someone that didn't know what I thought, uh, would it be clear to them by my actions in my home um, and elsewhere with my kids what my utmost concern and that it is that they know God in Christ? Is conversation with my kids being connected back to, to Christ and the gospel? As John says in John 1, He is the Logos, the great integration point of all things. So are we integrating all things back into, as Elaine said a few weeks ago, she knew her parents' faith mattered everywhere, and it, was so, it, it mattered so much to her. Um, the Father in Heaven desires nothing more than that we know Christ, and He's committed to nothing more than that, we, uh, that He saves us to know Him and that we become like Him. And any, this is the, the chief barometer by which we evaluate just where our hearts are at and, and what path we're on. Um, if this is the barometer, and we're being honest, surely there are many in white suburban communities who, though maybe providing for material needs better than some in African-American communities, there's still a functional fatherlessness in that the chief desire for our kids is not for them to know Christ and follow Him, and that the chief commitments are not to see that our children are transformed to be like Jesus. Um, there's some things to think about. We're going to talk about this more as we get into Ephesians 6. Uh, I think some shocking things there for dads. Look, you think about these things for half a minute, and uh, you're being honest, and your dad, you're probably crushed. And we need to remember there is always grace for the forgiveness of sins. There's also always grace for our transformation. Our Father in Heaven sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He also sent the Holy Spirit to transform us to be more like Him. So, let's pray. Our Father, we um, thank You of Your relentless pursuit of us, Your grace and mercy which is never ceasing, that You love us with an everlasting love, Lord, that you are committed to our growth and maturity in Christ so much that you discipline us uh, even though it hurts us deeply. You're more committed to our holiness than our happiness. Lord, uh, we thank you that you provide for our every need. We thank you for the material blessings that you've given us. And uh, Lord, we thank you that you go much deeper than that as well. Father, it is very convicting to think about the fact that we represent you to our children and to a watching world. Um, we do pray for the issue of fatherlessness in the African-American community and pray that through the work of Innovation Church and through the work of Downtown Church and all churches like them, 
uh, even through our efforts, as um, small as they may be, Lord, that you would use us to minister the gospel and that by the power of your spirit, you would raise up godly generations of men who will own the responsibilities that you've called them to, lay down their lives for the good of their women and children, and that there would be much godly fruit uh, because of it. And we pray the same here, that you would so convict us and, and so minister the gospel to us and so transform us that we would be a godly generation of fathers, uh, that our families would uh, thrive because of it, our children would grow up in godliness, Lord, and we recognize that any of that would be because of your grace. So we plead for grace, uh, for forgiveness, and for transformation, uh, for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Yes. True. Uh, Thank you.